right, notice in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And the title of my message today is, Why You Cannot Be obedient in the flesh right? why you cannot be obedient in the flesh and i think this concept you know we hear about walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh you hear about that a lot we we use that in our regular terminology but i think we often forget this i think we as a whole have forgotten the significance of this because we are so far removed from the old testament we have no idea what it was like to practice things religiously the way they did in the Old Testament when it came to all the washings that they had to do, all the laws of cleanliness that they had to follow. I mean, that's all foreign to us. And often when we're reading about these things in the Scriptures, we get bored with them. When we're reading about all the washings that they had to do and all the cleansings that they had to do and all the things, you know, there was times of uncleanness for women that they had to follow and just there, there was all these things that we just... We don't even give them a second thought today, do we? We don't think anything of them, but we've got to understand there was a reason that God had them doing all those things. There was a reason that when a priest, you know, he before he would go into that holy of holies, he would have to do all these cleansing things. And if he didn't do it right, he would die. There was a reason for that. And we forget this. And I'm afraid it causes us to just take for granted some of the things that we do. And we actually have people today, and this is going to, you know, this, I'm going to say this like this is just an extremely foreign thing when it's, when it's actually a pretty common thing. But, you know, there's people today who come to church, and they come to church with a bad attitude. They come to church, and they're not thinking about the Lord. They're not thankful. They're, they're not in a worshipful spirit. I mean, sometimes they come walking into church. I mean, they're, they're thinking about the TV show that they just watched. They're thinking about the ball game that's going to be coming on later. The last thing they're thinking about is the Lord. And they, there's no reverence in their minds to it. But yet, they think that because they walked into a church like you're supposed to, they're good. They think that because they're dressed up nice or whatever, that they're all good. They think because they're carrying their King James Bible, they're good. They're thinking that because they can check a bunch of things off on a checklist, that they're all good. And they don't even understand the difference between the spirit and the flesh and these things. This goes along a little bit with what I was talking about last week. But I really want you all to get this because I kind of this, the way this message is going to work, I've kind of got a long intro and a short message, okay? And this intro, it's all leading up to just a, a, a thought that I want you all to just bring with you whenever you come to church. There's something I want you all to think about before you walk in these doors on a Sunday. Just a, a, there's a thought that needs to cross our minds that I believe it would help us in our spirit when we're in when we're in church and when we are amongst God's people. But notice how God said that in in verse eight, 
It says, so, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, why is it that we cannot please God in our flesh? And, and what does it mean to, you know, be in the flesh, okay? And to be in the flesh, too, once again, it's not just when we're doing bad things, okay? Do you realize, and we don't have time to go verse by verse through this, but this is very clear in this chapter, even when you are doing all the right things on paper, you can be doing those things in the flesh. And if you're doing it in the flesh, God is not pleased. Said, if, you're, if you came to church today out of obligation, you know, you did it in the flesh. God's not pleased by that. If you came to church today so you could just say, I did the right thing, I'm a good Christian, I went to church, you did it in the flesh. You did it just to put another check mark on your list of things that I accomplished this week. That's not the right reason. That's not why we do these things. And so a few reasons why you cannot please God in your flesh is because, and I'm not saying this figuratively, folks. When Paul said this, he wasn't saying it figuratively. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, even try, I'm not trying to be funny here. This is just a fact. Okay? This is just a physical, scientific fact. And that is that your flesh is vile. Our flesh is vile. We cannot please a holy God in our flesh because our flesh is vile. I'm going to go to a bunch of scriptures. If you want to try to follow on camera, I'm going to go through them quick. Philippians 3.18 says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, right here, I, I don't think this verse, uh, a group that explains this passage right here better, or that represents this passage better, is the camp meeting crowd. Okay? It's what it, that, because notice what it says here. It says they, these people, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. These are people that add works to salvation. That's who it is. And notice it says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Now, what did it mean when it said whose God is their belly? What does it mean here when it says whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things? It's talking about people who think because I keep certain laws, because I'm doing certain things, I'm going to heaven. Their glory is in their shame. Why? Now, why did he say that? Because when it comes to our performance as a Christian, we should be ashamed, shouldn't we? When it comes to our record of keeping the law, should we not be ashamed? But yet, people today, that is their glory. They will brag on all the laws that they've kept. They will brag, I've done all these commandments. I've accomplished all these things. I've gone to church since I was a baby. I've been baptized. I took communion. I did confession. I did all the seven sacraments. I did all these things. Not realizing that even having done all those things, they're on their way to hell. Because you don't get to heaven through the works of the law. And when it's saying that their God is their belly, it's just it's a way of saying that these people are all about their flesh. They're all about what they've done in the flesh. And isn't the camp meeting crowd just like that too? What do they glory in all the time? They glory in their changed life. And isn't it interesting too that the camp meeting crowd, crowd whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things, who glory in their changed life, who the Bible says their God is their belly. Well, all these preachers have just massive bellies. You can tell. I mean, they, they give their belly everything they want. It's just a, a fact of the camp meeting crowd. You mark down, they all brag about how they gave up their cigarettes, but you can tell what they replaced it with. You know, you, you, you know they gave up their drinking, but boy, you know, there's no doubt that they replaced it with some other stuff. They have been good to their bellies. 
There's no doubt about that. And these same people, okay, they get it. And listen, if you want to be good to your belly and give it things that it enjoys, hey, I'm all for that, okay? I, I gave up soda for the new year. I made a contest with my wife to see how long we can go. Day 19. And you know what? This, this thing's for the birds, man. I want the, I want the soda back, man. I like it. You say, well, it's not good for you. Well, I enjoy it. My, my, my flesh sure enjoys it uh, when I'm drinking it. That's, that's the way I feel about it. But, boy, these guys, man, they give their, they give their flesh everything they want. And then they're going to get up and they're going to lecture everybody else about how they're probably not saved because they haven't given up the things that they've given up. As if that's where our conversation is. But it says there, our conversation is in heaven. That's our testimony. That's what we look to. We look to Jesus Christ, and we are not foolish enough to think that anything in this flesh pleases God. You know, I hope you're not so carnal that you would think because you are unlike the camp meeting preachers in good physical condition that you are just this disciplined spiritual person because of that. That doesn't necessarily prove anything either. Our conversation is not in what we've done with this physical body. Okay, and just, you know, you got the camp meeting crowd on one end; they go crazy with other things. But then you got your your health nuts that think they're spiritual because of it. Okay, and if you want to be a health nut, I'm fine with that. But don't think you're spiritual because of it, because you can't please God in your flesh. If you think you're going to please God because of, you don't drink soda, because you don't you don't drink sugar, because you don't you know you you're following the dietary laws of the Old Testament, you're on the Hallelujah diet. If you think that's going to make you please a holy God, you don't know anything about our holy God. Your flesh is still vile on its best day. I don't care how much you detox. I don't care about how much barley green you ate. I don't care what you did. Your flesh is still vile in the eyes of a holy God. And it's time we get a hold of that. And someone who is going to think that they're saved or act like they're a Christian because of something they've done in their flesh, you know what? Their glory is in their shame. We ought to be ashamed of this flesh that we have. There's nothing good in it. That's what Paul said about his flesh. And none of us are as good as Paul. So you better watch it. And if you do, as much as we like to make fun of the camp meeting preachers, and I do, I'll target their big guts because of the fact that these guys are the ones who glory in their shame and are minding earthly things. But I don't think I'm more spiritual than them because I haven't got the big gut yet. All right? I'm just not getting paid as much as those guys, and so I can't afford to eat as much as they do. Okay? Once I start making their kind of money, you know, who knows? All right? <laughs> things might change, you know? When I'm going, you know, so anyway, enough, enough about the camp meeting crowd. But let's look at a few more verses on this. In verse 21, says, or we'll go back to verse 20, it says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. That has not happened yet. Therefore, for us to glory in our flesh is to glory in our shame. That is a very foolish thing to do. Very foolish. Romans 7.22 says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And so he's saying, man, I'm trying to do the right thing. 
But boy, my flesh, it only wants to sin. Because it's, it's vile. We're waiting for God to change it. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And this is a good verse, too, for those who think they're spiritual because they're in good shape and because they've got a strict diet. Okay? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You realize what you're bragging on right now is flesh and blood. And it can't inherit the kingdom of God. In your best physical condition you've ever been in, you know, God would not let you into heaven in that condition because your body is still sinful. It's vile. Verse 53 says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. We know from this passage that this happens when we see Christ and when our body is changed. He'll change us at the rapture in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He told Nicodemus, it doesn't matter that you're a Jew. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And I wish Baptists would get a hold of this fact that Jews are made out of the same flesh that we're, Gentiles are made out of. And flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It must be born again. Everyone must be born again in order to go to heaven because all flesh is vile. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what their background is. I don't care what their genealogy is. The only bloodline that matters is Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ. And we don't get through that through where we're born or something we do physically. We get through in that by that through faith. Like Abraham, we have the faith of Abraham. So our flesh, though, it's not just vile because we sin. Now, now understand this. Okay, we think, well, yeah, we're, we're we're rotten, we're dirty because we're sinners. Okay, but no, our flesh isn't just vile because we sin. Our flesh flesh is just plain vile on its best day because, in compared to compared to a holy God, we are gross. Okay, now we're used to it, so it's no big deal, right? We're used to our filth. We're used to, you know, the but but at the same time. A holy God is not used to it. Okay? And so, and, and even us, all right, even as, and nobody was going to want to admit this, this is just true, but even as vile people, are we not often grossed out by deformities in other people? Isn't it kind of gross? I mean, it kind of, you lose your appetite sometimes. That doesn't mean we hate these people, all right? You know, we, you, you feel bad for them, don't you? When you see some horrible deformity. I remember when I was a kid. Uh, we were eating at a restaurant somewhere, and I saw some girl that was just horribly deformed, and I just I couldn't eat anymore. And it wasn't that I hated her; I mean, I I felt sorry for her. I was sad. It was horrible, but you know, it is it's just it's kind of repulsive to us, isn't it? And isn't that why we try to fix deformities when people have them? Because you know, these things they they're they're kind of gross. You know, we don't want to attract that negative attention when we're out amongst vile people. And that kind of thing happens. And, you know, in Leviticus, I'm going to read several passages here. These are passages people often get offended by, too, and they just don't understand. But it says in Leviticus 21:17, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of thy seed in their generation that hath any blemish, let him not approach to offer bread of his God. For whatsoever man he, he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach a blind man or a lame, or he that hath a flat nose, 
or anything superfluous, or a man that is broken-footed, or broken-handed, or crook-backed, or a dwarf, or that hath a blemish in his eye, or be scurvy, or scab, or hath the stones broken? No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron the priest shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish, he shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and of the holy. Only he shall not go into the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. And Moses told unto Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. Now this was talking about the Levites here with the high priest. Okay? The high, the, that high priest position, it was supposed to stay in a certain family line. And if someone was born who would have been the rightful priest, if he had some kind of physical deformity, he wasn't allowed to have that job. And the Bible says he's not allowed to enter into that holy place where the presence, that the presence of God would fill because it said he would profane it. And you say, well, that's just racist. I mean, that's just, you know, how bigoted is God to, you know, because of someone's physical disability? Is that even legal to, you know, to, to do that? How, how, could he, how could he do something like that? But folks, these are, th you know, some things that happen sometimes to people. And it's gross. And understand, this was a holy place. That, and God did not want people in that condition entering in there because, one, it would have sent a very bad picture about the holiness of God. And you see, whenever, you know, even Aaron had his issues. But, you know, God made them. It was, it was important that they took that role of high priest serious, that they, uh, you know, that they represented holiness. They were supposed to teach people the difference between holy and profane. What they did represented holy things. And so God wanted the best of them doing these things. Because God is a holy God. And if they would have entered in like that, it would have killed them. And you say, well, that, you know, that's terribly bigoted. Well, you know, our military won't take people like that either. Just kind of another thing to throw out there. So if you want to get mad at God, go get mad at the government and the military. You know, because there's a certain things you can't do when you have deformities. And there were certain things they needed to do, but it, you know, but there and there was many laws like this. You know, the children of Israel, they couldn't come into the tabernacle until they had been cleansed. You know, Leviticus 11 spends a lot of time talking about animals that were clean versus unclean to them. You know, and you know what some of the animals that were considered unclean, dogs and cats. They weren't supposed to touch dogs and cats, things like that. Things that went on all four on pause. They were considered unclean. You know why? Because dogs and cats are gross. Oh, not you know, not my puppy. Yeah, your dog's gross. He licks his rear. All right, you know, he you know, he sniffs yours. I mean, they 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 they're they're gross. They they do disgusting things that are unspeakable, and yet you let them live in your house. All right, and, you know, hey, and we're not under the law. You you can do that if you want, but it's still gross. It's it's still gross. I understand that. Jesus never pet a dog. He, it, it would have been considered unclean. And when Jesus touched, or when unclean people touched Jesus, or Jesus touched unclean people, guess what? Those people weren't unclean anymore. And if Jesus would have pet a dog, I think it had to turn into something else, personally. That's, that's, my, per, that's, that's my personal belief. He probably just would have cleansed it, but I don't know how that would have worked exactly. With lepers, they just weren't lepers anymore. 
The one with the issue of blood, she just didn't have the issue of blood anymore. She was clean. But with the dog, that would have been an interesting thing to see what would have happened there. Um, but I don't know what it turned into. I, I don't know what would happen. It's just my, my opinion, my theory. But, you know, Leviticus 12 through 15, it explains when men and women are considered unclean. You know, women were all unclean after having children. It talks about that in chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. You know, lepers were considered unclean. In Leviticus 13, people with a running issue from their body were considered unclean. The children of Israel, you know, they were supposed to physically clean themselves before they went in the tabernacle. You say, why did they have all these things? Why all these laws? Because people are gross. And it's, it's even today, you know, you have that little precious baby that you love so much. And, you know, they just have all that snot. Stuff that comes from people's bodies is gross. Okay? It's disgusting. We had this kid that used to come on our bus, always had green snot coming out of his nose. It was always green. I never understood that, but it was disgusting. It was just like, please, blow your nose. We're always giving him Kleenexes. I don't know why it was like that. It was always the case. It was just disgusting. Just absolutely disgusting. Man, I mean, sometimes people are the grossest thing in nature, too. I mean, you know, you would you consider the homos and people like that. I mean, it's just, you know, we're already gross enough just with all the, and then, then what they do, it's just, it's disgusting. What, what human beings are capable of doing, you know, especially in the LGBT world, I mean, it goes beyond the disgustingness of dogs. It's absolutely disgusting. And folks, why is it? Because our, our flesh is vile. Our flesh is vile. And you know, there's people who have given themselves over to the lust of the flesh and so then God gives them over to vile affections. And that's why we see people who are literally just below animals and they're disgustingness. It's, it's insane. But that is just the case. And so some... You know, some people might try to say, well, this is how God made us, but actually this isn't how God made us. You all understand? This condition we're in is not how God made us. This condition we are in is because of our sin. Sin is what put us in this condition. However, God loves us anyway. Thankfully for that. That's why it says in Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know why? Through that and while we were yet sinners... God loves us even though we're sinners, because that's a reason to not be loved. But yet God loves us anyway. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Why would we have God's wrath? Because we're sinners. Because we deserve punishment for that sin. And so and you say, so God didn't make us this way, but this is something that happened to us because of sin. So and the way to illustrate it too, imagine if you saw a little child painting over a beautiful painting. You know, imagine what, how people would feel if some little kid just went and started drawing on the Mona Lisa or something like that. You know, some super valuable painting. It would just be, you know, horrible. Okay? Or, or imagine it this way, too. Imagine if you, all right, how, how many of you, you know, before, or you see, I know you've all seen it. You've driven by just a broken down house. People just let it go. Don't take care of it. Okay? And you see that, and you're like, you know, that was probably a nice house at one time. It's kind of aggravating. But imagine if you were the one that had built that house. Imagine if that was like a house that you built. It was your dream house at one time. You lived there. You took care of that house. It was your pride and joy. And then some other people came along and they just let it run down. Wouldn't that bother you quite a bit? And so imagine how God made man. You know, God made man perfect. God made man good. 
and then look what we have done. Look what sin has done. That is a, that is a terrible thing. Now, thankfully, God doesn't come along and just destroy us. You know what God's doing? God sent Jesus Christ to restore us. To restore us. So one of these days, we're going to be back like we were originally supposed to be. And so we've got to understand that what we have done to God's creation, and we need to understand that that is a serious thing. And so now having said all this, you know, let's try to think just for a second about what God thinks when he sees a fallen pile of flesh come to offer him something, offer him something else that he created as an offering for our sin. You know, imagine us as Cain, maybe bringing the fruit of the ground that we made and saying, this is an offering for my sin. Or imagine God, you know, coming to us or us coming to God, a, a filthy pile of flesh and thinking we're saved because, you know, we laid our cigarettes down on the altar. We laid whatever down on the altar. We gave something up on the altar. And therefore that, you know, we think that is an offering for sin. Do we really think there's anything that we can bring to God in our flesh that would please him, that would satisfy him, there's absolutely nothing because we are all too vile and anything that we bring to God is something that God already created is something that's already his. Something that we have just touched, something that we have just violated because we're disgusting sinners. We've got, it's important that we understand this and we, there is nothing that a worm such as I could possibly do in my flesh to please a holy God. We need to get that in our heads. And, on, and so on one hand, okay, on one hand, we all should be completely ashamed of our performance as a Christian. On one hand, okay, on one hand, we should be afraid to bring an offering to God for our salvation. We, we should be completely ashamed to bring anything to Him as, as an offering for salvation. You know, we should. We should feel like that if we walk into the church house, that the roof's going to fall down on us. You ever heard somebody say that? I can't go to church. If I do, the roof will fall down on me. You know, and the trendies, they hear that. It's like, you know, we've got to, we've got to find a way to make people more comfortable when they come into church. We've got, to, we've got to carnal it up a little bit. You know, we've got to trendy it up some so people don't feel bad when they walk in the house of God. But wait a minute. If we're coming into the house of God to worship a holy God, why should we, shouldn't we feel like the roof's going to fall down on us? Shouldn't we feel like we're going to drop dead when we enter into this place? On one hand, that's exactly how we should feel. Because, you know, God is a holy God. But yet, we're not, okay? None of us in here, we, we don't think that the ceiling's going to cave in on us. When we came walking in here today, none of you washed your feet. Some of you didn't do a good job wiping your feet. You know, there's salt all over the place right now. That's all right. You know, we're, you know, we're not afraid to pray to God. None of you went and washed your hands. You know, we, didn't, we don't do any rituals to prepare ourselves. We're not doing any of these things. You know, why is it that we can approach a throne of grace boldly? This is what God wants to do. Why, why do we walk in here? Why is it that when peop, people walk into church and we joyfully sing praises to a holy God, and we do bring offerings, we give offerings, we bring our tithes and offerings, and we do it with gladness, and we do it not fearing wrath. I think we forget why we are able to do this sometimes. And it's, it's because we're doing it in the Spirit. 
And hopefully you are doing these things in the Spirit. Because remember, in verse Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So what does that mean? It means when we walk in this place, and this is why we're joyful, okay? Now, you might not know this. I think we, might have, I think we forget this sometimes. Okay? But it is. So I think sometimes we do a lot of things that are right out of tradition, okay? For example, we know we're supposed to be entering into his gates of thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We know we're supposed to be singing with joy in hearts. We know that, okay? We put that on our checklist of things that we as Christians are supposed to do. But the thing is, there's a real reason that we should feel that way and have that joy, and it is because when we walk in this place, we're joyful because we know that the cleansing has already been finished. You know, it's not like it was in the Old Testament where they had to meticulously do all these things to prepare themselves to go in the presence of a holy God. We now know it's already done. The cleansing is already finished. It's already done. Jesus did it for us. That's a reason to be joyful right there. Aren't you glad we didn't stop you at the door and like, you know, check you out and make sure you're clean and have you wash your hands and do some kind of ritual or something before you came home? We don't do that kind of thing, do we? I mean, a lot of things we do, it's pretty informal. You know why? Because the cleansing is already done. That's a reason to be joyful. That's a reason we ought to be singing praises to God and singing about the holiness of God. These things are, these are why, that, that's why these things are exciting. Because it is a privilege, it is a blessing to be able to go into the presence of God, to be in a congregation with the people of God and sing praises to Holy God. It's a privilege to be able to do that. And the fact that we can do it without doing any rituals and things is a blessing and that ought to cause us to be joyful. The cleansing is already finished. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 10.8 says, Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, and he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering the offering, oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Why did he sit? Because it's done. The work is done. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Folks, I think that's a reason to sing. I think that's a reason to be joyful and to be thankful to know that we didn't have to do any cleansing. We didn't have to do any rituals. We're already cleansed. So on one hand, in our flesh, we should feel like this place is going to cave in on us. But in our spirit, we know it's not going to cave in on us because the cleansing is done. Jesus Christ already did it. On one hand, we should be ashamed of our performance that we've done as a Christian in our flesh. But on the other hand, in our spirit, we know it's not our performance. It's the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we joy, we're joyful. Therefore, we sing his praises. It is a joyful thing to know that the work has been done. And the reason people today are not joyful when they come to church is because they have forgotten about the holiness of God. They are not in awe of the fact that we are allowed to come and be in the presence of God 
and to know that where two or three are gathered in His name, He is there in the midst. We're not even in awe of that anymore. We're taking it for granted. But we ought to be excited about that. We ought to be thankful for that. And you know, next time you're sitting out in your car and you drive into this parking lot, and before you come walking into this church, think about the fact that I can just walk right from my car and I can confidently walk into that church and I can sit be with the people of God, be in the presence of God, sing praises to a holy God with no fear for my life because the work has already been done. That's something to be thankful for. If we actually took time to think about that, we're going to come in here joyful. We're going to come in here smiling because we should come in here terrified. But we're not because the work has already been done. We have forgotten how bad we need His presence in our life. We're taking it for granted. And if we would, if we would take that moment to think about this, before we walk into church, about the fact that we can assemble in a congregation of cleansed people, other people who are already cleansed, and consider just that for one second, you know, there, there is nothing that we need to do to experience this privilege. It's already been done. I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be coming to church with a sour look on our face. I'm pretty sure we're not, we wouldn't be coming to church anymore with this attitude of obligation. You know, we're gonna be, man, I'm thankful I can go to church. I'm thankful that we can meet the way that we meet. This is a privilege that we often forget. And it's the same thing too in our prayer life. We, I mean, you all, we can pray anytime. You don't have to go take a bath before you pray. You can do it at any time. You can pray when you're driving down the road. You can pray wherever you're at. We can, we can have a walk with God. We can talk with God. And even though He is a holy God and we are vile, filthy people in our flesh, we can still have a walk with Him because the cleansing is already finished. And it, because those things are already done, now we can please God, but we've got to understand it's in the Spirit. It's in the fact that these things have already been done. That right there is what pleases God. God is not pleased with someone who comes, you know, prays a prayer for salvation, gets baptized because that's what you're supposed to do after, you know, after salvation, and then who joins the church. And if you're just doing all these things to do them in your flesh, God is not pleased with that. But if you do all those exact same things and you're doing it in your spirit, okay, you're calling on the Lord, not because, well, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, let's, you know, I'm going to go call on the name of the Lord. Yeah. No, you believe it in your heart. Like we talked about last week. You really believe this in your heart. And then you, knowing full well, I'm on my way to heaven. I can never lose my salvation. And I want to identify with Christ. And you going and you're getting you getting baptized and then just doing these things from the heart, doing these things in the spirit, not by the letter, then we please God because the things that we're doing the things that we do, we do in victory. Meaning we're not doing these things so I can obtain victory. I'm doing these things because Jesus Christ has already won the victory for me. I'm getting baptized. Because Jesus already won the victory for my salvation. I'm going to go to church because Jesus already won the victory. I'm going to church because I'm already 
on my way to heaven. I'm going to give my tithes and offerings because I'm already on my way to heaven. The work has all been done by Jesus Christ. And we do these things not in obligation. We do them in victory. That's, that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And the thing we've got to understand is our flesh will always be filthy until the day that Jesus returns. But in the meantime, our way of pleasing God is not by what we do in the flesh, but it's by what we do in the Spirit, meaning everything that we do. We do it with joy, knowing that Christ has done it for us. We come into this church clean every week, not because we cleaned ourselves, because Christ cleansed us. And we have joy because of that. Jesus did it all for us. And we, the things that we do, we do in celebration. We do in thanksgiving of what God has already done for us. Then, and only then, are we doing these things in the Spirit. Otherwise, you're doing it in the flesh. And if you're doing it in the flesh, you're not going to please God. Nothing that we do in this sinful flesh can please a holy God. And it's high time that we remember that. And if we would remember that, I do believe people would be thankful. I think people would probably sing with a... A little more of a smile on their face. I think they'd sing a little with a little more joy in their heart if they just took the time to think about this. But we do. We take it for granted. None of us ever experienced those Old Testament practices. We, we, we didn't come from that. That's not what we did. But imagine, let's say that we were at that first generation of Christians and we had spent years doing all those things before we could, you know, come together as a congregation and do all the things. Imagine knowing, I don't have to do that anymore. I mean, that would be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? Well, we've never had to do that. So shouldn't we be thrilled to death? But we ought, we ought to be a thankful, joyful people. And it's amazing how many Christian people today, we kind of understand these things, you know, but we've been taught these things, but we forget them, and therefore we act miserable. That's not appropriate. You know, that, that should not be the case. So I hope this was a help to you today. We cannot please, this is why we cannot please God in our flesh. We're just vile, we're dirty. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much. For your goodness to us, Lord, I pray you'll help us to just take the time, Lord, before we walk into this church, Lord, before we go to you in prayer every day, I pray you'll help us to just take a moment to think about the fact that we are able to do this because of what's already been done. And I pray you'll help us to do these things, not in the flesh, not in obligation, but you'll help us to do these things in victory, knowing that the work has been done by you and that we'll give you all the honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.